0: Welcome to the Blue Security Podcast, a weekly podcast for information security defenders, where we bring you discussions on best practices, tools, and implementation for enterprise security. Now, here are your hosts for today's show, Andy Jaw and Adam Brewer. Welcome
1: to another episode of the Blue Security Podcast. I'm Andy, your host. I'm Adam, your co-host. This week, we have a few stories to talk about. One of the biggest ones that I thought was interesting is that Johnson Controls International suffered a massive ransomware attack that encrypted a bunch of the company devices, including their VMware ESXi servers, and it impacted the company's ability to do business and still ongoing so jci reported on tuesday september 26 that they suffered a ransomware attack after being initially breached in its asia offices there hasn't been a lot of detail i tried looking for more and seeing if there were any updates but there wasn't a initial point of entry i didn't see what that initial breach or attack was before the ransomware attack happened but as a result of this a lot of their it systems were shut down many of their subsidiaries were displaying technical outage pages for their websites as well as their customer portals and as a whole jci employs about a hundred thousand people through its corporate operations and subsidiaries according to some of the sources and some of the articles that are reporting the ransomware gang is demanding 51 million dollars to provide a decryptor to delete the stolen data as well as decrypt the data that they have now and the amount of data that they took was roughly 27 terabytes of corporate data now some of the reports say that that is just corporate data, nothing to do with its customers, so no customer data was compromised. Another thing I found really interesting, we had talked about how the SEC has these new rules, and there have been already several filings with attacks that have come out because of these SEC filings. JCI is a publicly traded company, and so they had to file an SEC filing, and as part of that, it's a Form 8K, and they reported that they're ongoing investigations, and they can't really comment on anything else, but their operations have been affected by the ransomware. And additionally, another article came out a day later that talked about how DHS or the Department of Homeland Security actually contracts with JCI for some of their government buildings, manufacture of alarms and automation systems within their buildings. And as a result of this, JCI actually has floor plans that are classified as sensitive or classified for the Department of Homeland Security, because it depicts like physical security of these facilities and JCI has this. And so there's an investigation right now with DHS to see if any of that data was compromised. And as of right now, we don't know. So they're still in a state of flux, but it is kind of a reminder that, you know, for the US government, anyone that works with contractors, you take additional risks because those contractors might have you know holes. And this is a case where DHS might have compromised because of working with a private contractor. So we have talked about how the Biden administration has tried to increase the minimum set of security standards for contractors that the government is working with. But this is just another reminder that anytime they do that, they are assuming some risk. So overall, our thoughts are with those folks who are obviously like in the throw of things and they're working hard to recover the systems. But you know, just another day in cybersecurity news, just another ransomware attack. You say just another day, but certainly
0: very large six-figure employee bases, publicly traded companies, different industries over the past few weeks. Obviously, I'm talking about MGM Resorts and now Johnson Controls International. Kind of a big deal. Like I have suggested on this show that security incidents are less of a big deal these days because we have security incident fatigue. Oh, there's another company had a security incident today. So what? I even pointed out that MGM Resorts, their stock was relatively unaffected. And I forgot to look at how Johnson Control's stock had performed since this was announced earlier this week, but MGM's was relatively unaffected. So, you know, it's interesting in the sense that it's a big deal. MGM was interesting. We kind of had more detail on the how and why than we have here so far. You point out they did file an 8K, although I bet, dear listener or dear viewer you can guess very well how that sounds we take cybersecurity very seriously and we have contracted with a leading uh, forensics investigation organization to determine the root cause of this incident and at this time we will have no further comment or something like that i mean i just made that up off the top of my head but that's pretty much i i did see it that's what it says effectively is they've hired someone for forensics and incident response and you know they're working on it so we take cybersecurity very seriously i agree definitely send my thoughts to those who are working very long very hard hours right now trying to bring those operations back online really interesting point about DHS and something I've been thinking about a lot recently is I've spoken with uh, another customer I went to actually an executive briefing in Redmond last weekend and and that's actually part of the reason I was we were late in recording the show last week and it was one of those where I, I asked like are you still rotating passwords and they're like yeah every 90 days and it's just kind of dumbfounded because at this point, Microsoft's guidance since 2016 has been, you know, move away from password complexity requirements, password rotation requirements, password history requirements, and just have users set a long, not easily guessable password, use password protection, and all those capabilities. And then NIST came along a couple years later and essentially started saying the same thing. But security begins where compliance ends or like regulation ends in some cases. And I have certainly seen, Andy, you referenced how, you know, there's additional risk for the government to contract with these other agencies, and the Biden administration has put forth these higher standards that these government contractors are required to meet. And that's all well and good. But what I was thinking about is when you start making more of a regulatory environment around these companies, they get so focused on meeting the regulation that it's more checking a box than it is building meaningful security sometimes. And I think of those password rotation policies as a good example, where I believe the reason most companies are laggards this today is not that they disagree with the concept. It's that they have some sort of audit requirement or compliance requirement that's preventing them from moving forward with a modern password policy. And those are the sorts of things that as well-intentioned as this is, I've worked with a lot of companies who are all saying, oh, you know, we're working to get CMMC compliant, the cybersecurity maturity model certification, because we're a government contractor. And I see how that effort in some ways is more focused on achieving that at checkmark than it is Actually, hardening their environment. So it's not to say, like, oh, well, that's not valuable. Not saying that because CMMC is actually a really good set of controls. And I think today really does help organizations up their game. However, I hope we stick with it. I hope we keep it modern. I hope we keep that as a reasonable set of controls. And I hope all these government contractors reach a state of maturity and change management to where it's not problematic to keep up with it as it evolves over time. Because what I I'm seeing right now is a lot more focus on compliance than focus on security. And as I said, and this is not a quote I made up, I heard somebody much smarter than me say it, but I agree with it wholeheartedly that security starts where compliance ends. So hopefully that's the case. And I'm sure for DHS, there was some hand wringing and clenching this week because JCI certainly would have in theory access to a lot of really classified information about building design and building systems and all of that. So hopefully more to come and the more to come is good. News, but I'm not holding my breath. It's a really interesting set of risk there.
1: And while you were talking, I looked up the stock price of JCI and it looked like they did take a slight hit going from Wednesday into Thursday. So the news broke actually wednesday during the day mm-hmm. and then you know overnight trading i think dropped the price about 5% and while there was an overall dip in the market this was more substantial than the dip i think the dip was around maybe half a percent whereas jci dropped Five points. And so, oh,
0: 5%. 5%. I mean, that's significant. Mm -hmm. The NASDAQ was up the last two days of the week about one and a half percent, and the Dow was relatively flat Thursday, Friday. So, you know, the market as a whole, and what's the SP, you know, grab that here, that was slightly up as well. So, for them to be down 5% was not in line with how the market moved at all. That's actually significant and more than MGM moved, unless they started Mm -hmm. moving more later.
1: They did recover a little bit, you know, towards the end of the week. So, It hit, you know, Thursday morning and then Thursday during the day and Friday, they slightly recovered, but not to the point where they were before they dropped. So still probably about a a one to 2% drop from where they were.
0: Oh, geez. Okay. Yeah. That was a significant over, like you said, overnight trading Mm -hmm. down 5% and overnight and for the weekend wound up about two and a half percent down, which is, I mean, that's for a, um what's their market cap here, $36 billion? I mean, they burned off, you know, four and a half billion dollars in company value. Like, okay, it's a four and a half billion dollar breach, effectively from the perspective of market capitalization. So that's pretty significant. Your CFO, does that keep you up at night? Yes, it does. Yep.
1: So we talk about how sometimes these things don't affect stock, but I think in this case, maybe because of how big JCI is, then the news also broke with that DHS investigation of their physical security. It's probably a more significant breach compared to like say MGM resorts. Mm -hmm. Yes, very, very true there. So moving into our next topic, kind of in line with that ransomware, I found an article that I thought was really interesting. And what this article did was they found 50 conversations or transcripts of companies that talked with the ransomware gangs when they were breached. And it gives some insight on the negotiations between the victims and the ransomware gangs. And they have a few lessons learned from that. And so the very first one is that you don't want to pay sticker price. So from the 50 negotiations that they were able to read over these transcripts, they said victims were able to, on average, negotiate hackers down to a little over half of the amount that was initially demanded. So about 52.7%, which is very significant. Like if they're demanding $8.5 million, right? And you're able to drop it in half. That's a significant amount. And in some cases, they were able to negotiate them even further than that. So, you know, depending on there was one conversation that they use as an example, whether or not you needed the decryptor key or if you just wanted them to delete the data, you know, maybe you don't need the decryptor and you're just going to recover. And you're like, just we'll give you some money so that you don't release our data. And that price may be a lot lower in the price range of maybe 90 percent lower than what they were asking before. And so if you have to definitely negotiate with them to lower the price. Another one is more of an observation, but as they're reading these transcripts, there's a lot of like playing as professionals. So the ransomware gangs act cordial towards the victims in more of a customer service manner. And that's, I think, not surprising as most of these are actually businesses. They might even have dedicated customer service people to walk you through how to pay the ransomware, how to create a Bitcoin wallet and all this other stuff. And so that's, again, not really a lesson learned but more of an observation that they're becoming more and more professional as they're talking to their victims. The third lesson, which again, deals with negotiation is an extended deadline. And that based on the conversations is one of the easiest things to ask for. If you have to negotiate, you get caught in ransomware, ask for an extended deadline, because number one, that shows a willingness to negotiate from the attacker's standpoint. And then, you know, it's, it's pretty easy thing. It doesn't cost them anything to give an extended deadline and it maybe helps you get more time to either recover your systems, figure out what to do or scrounge together a payment. The other one goes back to their cordialness is wolves in sheep's clothing so a lot of these conversations like Even though they're professional, there is a undercurrent of veiled and explicit threats. And so, you know, I wouldn't take anything for granted if you're talking to them and it seems cordial. In the end, they're obviously criminals and, you know, you want to keep your guard up. And so the transcripts kind of show that. And then most cybersecurity experts would recommend not to pay the ransom. So while a lot of the transcripts didn't show the cyber criminals reneging on their promise to release the data. Once the victim has paid, you always want to keep in mind that, you know, they could still release the data. There's no guarantee that they didn't make a copy of the data. So if you don't have to, don't actually pay the ransom. And then finally, the last thing on there is that you're not alone. They often try to isolate their victims, threaten if they ask for help. There are a lot of ways to get help. You know, the U.S. Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency or CISA, they have official stop ransomware guides. They have plenty of tips. They also provide free vulnerability scanning. The FBI offers resources in prevention and where you can report a cybercrime and get assistance. And then a few weeks ago, we talked about incident response retainers. Get yourself one of those. There's a lot of companies that offer them. Both Am and I work for Microsoft and we recently released incident response retainer. So you can get one through Microsoft. Most people are Microsoft customers. So this is something that you can just tag on to your EA if you have one or go through someone else like Rapid7 or Palo Alto or someone else that has one, right? There's plenty of them. Like pretty much every major security company has an incident response retainer. And it's just a small fee that you pay that when you get a bunch of hours and when something happens, you can call them for help. So that was an interesting read. We'll have a link to the article, but I thought as I'm reading through those, if I was in that position, I think this is some good advice. I would almost lead with the guidance That most security
0: experts do recommend not paying the ransom. You know, I've always been of the opinion that, like with troubleshooting an an end user's PC, and I get like your infrastructure is more complex than that, but really, once it's been compromised at all, like I've never really bought into this, like clean the PC and return it to service, like nuke it from orbit. It's the only way to be sure, you know, and flatten and reinstall. And we did a show, gosh, it was probably six, nine, 12 months ago now from Swift on security, talking about how operational excellence is information security. the ability to quickly recover a machine will help you recover from ransomware. And so in general, like I just can't trust any of that infrastructure at that point. Like even if you can decrypt it, who knows what else is on there? Who knows what else is still there? Like not saying like, boy, you should just rebuild everything from scratch. It's easy. Wave a magic wand. I get it super hard. And I get in those scenarios, you kind of have two really lousy decisions you can choose, but I don't love it. And then of course, you know, the whole reason this entire economy exists is because it does make money. There's that quote attributed to Willie Sutton that's not actually, he never said it, but you know, it's a good one anyway of they asked Willie Sutton, why do you rob banks? He said, because that's where the money is. And it's, you know, why are there ransomware gangs? Because that's where the money is. And if we all agree to stop paying ransoms, easier said than done, because we're all going to act in our own best interests as opposed to the interest of the group as a whole, this kind of goes away. So that said, look, I think this advice is great. This, advice is pretty relevant to negotiating anything. Really, if you think about it, for the most part, nobody selling you anything wants to lose the sale entirely. There is probably as far as they can go on price and they will let you know where it is, but they're not just going to walk away from selling it to you because you had the audacity to ask for a lower price. So why not? I like talking about the deadline, right? Because ultimately, if you think from a ransomware gang's perspective, time doesn't really cost them anything, but they do know the faster they get you to pay the more likely you are to pay. So I love the idea of, hey, we'll pay you really fast, but it's got to be at a lower cost. That kind of is one of those win-win things. And that's what negotiation is all about. It's a win for the ransomware gang, because the faster you pay, the more likely you are to pay. It's a win for you because you got to pay less. So that's a great point. You know, we've talked in like our kind of Microsoft security overview, we've had a talk track around the maturity of ransomware today. And Andy, you touched on that, how ransomware gangs now have have customer service. They have different roles. They have specialization. They can be really congenial and professional because they want that money. And having someone who can speak English well and can negotiate well and can explain how to stand up a Bitcoin wallet. That's really valuable and helps increase your likelihood of getting paid. So the maturity of these, I think, shocks people as well. So overall, I think great advice. Just remember at the end of the day, you're dealing with the devil. They're criminals. And I thought it was interesting too. I was wondering what the hit rate of these gangs like not providing the decryption when you pay. And they said they don't have any evidence that that has happened. It's always a risk and we always caution people to consider that risk but it sounds like for the most part that doesn't happen in reality which again is kind of one of those things of it's bad for business you know like in any mafia mob movie they always talk about how whacking everyone is bad for business like creating drama is bad for business and that's the same sort of thing if you start getting the reputation out there that there are ransomware gangs that you shouldn't pay them ransom because they're not going to give you the stuff anyway or keep true to their word the whole thing kind of falls apart if it's yep. if it's 50, 50, if it's even going to work, you say, well, forget it, we'll rebuild. So I think for the most part, they are going to live up to their word because again, like the whole model doesn't work if someone out there starts not living up to their, to their agreement. So really interesting stuff on this one to think about as far as haggling with hackers and negotiating your ransomware, maybe a good article to have in your back pocket. Hope you never need it, but some really good things to consider.
1: The final thing I wanted to talk about is I came across a post. I don't know what to call them anymore. Are they tweets? They're not tweets anymore. Xs. Anyways, CISA posted their new campaign called Secure Our World. And I went and looked at the site and it's actually phenomenal. I think CISA is doing some great work out there. I've already mentioned them once throughout this podcast, but they are a great resource. Definitely should look at it if you're in cybersecurity, whether or not you're dealing stuff with federal government or not, this is good information. So the, the Secure World campaign falls right in October, which is Cybersecurity Awareness Month, and they have some bite-sized videos. These are really, really good for your employees, they're good for your family members. They're only about a minute to like maybe two minutes long. And They're clear to understand. They're well produced. I watched a few of them myself and I thought these are really, really good they're professionally done and there's a couple of different areas that you can kind of drill into. One of them is securing yourself and your family. Another one is securing your business, and then the final one is securing your products. And, you know, each one of them have some quick takeaways like, you know, how to spot phishing or how to turn on MFA. And the secure your products one is really good cuz it talks about like adopting secure by design and how to secure your coding practices and what to look for if you're a developer. And They also have some tip sheets these would be great to like print off, like if you're in a business, print them off and put them around work. You could also print them off and give them to your family. There's audio descriptions in Spanish as well, so it's bilingual. I think just overall, Cease is knocking it out of the park with this stuff. It's really good information. I think every single person can get something from here, whether or not you're a seasoned professional or you're brand new. This is something that you know you could use in your personal life with your family or for your business. CISA's been killing
0: it. Absolutely. No doubt about it. And Cybersecurity Awareness Month is here. It's October 1st. So as we record this, release tomorrow, October 2nd. And I was asked by a customer recently, and to be fair, I have not reviewed this material from CISA, but Andy, if you say it's great, I'm sure it is. I was asked by a customer recently to come give a 30 minute presentation on like general cybersecurity, which I really take to mean more like personal life. And one of my goals from that is not to Come out and parrot the same kind of loud, not lousy, but non actionable advice we see trotted out so often. Every time there's a security incident and you're watching like your local news, which of course is like the worst source in the world, but they'll say things like, remember to change your password frequently and remember to use a different password on every different site. Saying something like, use a different password for every site without explaining a way to get there is worthless advice. It's non actionable because the human brain can't do that. So the real advice should be use a password manager. Well, what's a password manager? Well, there's one built in to iCloud and on iOS. And Chrome has one, Edge as one. But really, you should use one like 1Password. To me, that's actionable. I like stuff like that. And so I'm sure this is more in that vein, in which case I'm really, really excited about it. I think all of us as cybersecurity professionals, as Cybersecurity Awareness Month kicks off, use your powers for good. Talk to the people in your world around you. Point them at these resources like CESA's posted. But also, let's think about how we talk about it to others. And instead of trotting out kind of the same old advice that we've seen average Joes, muggles, if you will, not be able to make actionable, make real, find ways to make it simple and real. Say things like, if you see that you're on a site and they offer to do two-factor authentication or multi-factor authentication, say yes and set that up. Use a password manager. Things like that, I think are really, really powerful. And explain, I mean, modern password practices. I tell people all the time in like my day-to-day life, I'm like, you shouldn't be rotating passwords anymore. You know, if people are asking you to do that, maybe give them a little general pushback. Why are we still doing that? You know, my understanding is the guidance is you don't have to do that anymore. I think if we can spread the word around those things and we can say, hey, passwordless is better. If you are given a passwordless option, always take it. Little things like that, I think that can really add up over time as well. And obviously there are some things that are still, I think we have been saying in the past that are actionable. I think things like keep everything up to date, install updates as they come out. Like you don't have to be a computer expert to know that things get updates and you should install them, but people love to push them off. And so if we can continue to encourage them and educate them like, hey, install those as they come up, that's a win too. So I'm on a little bit of a tangent here. Very excited to check out these CISA resources. Cybersecurity Awareness Month kicking off. Let's use our collective community's powers for good. And let's try to refocus the conversation around really simple, actionable advice that the muggles in our lives can really take advantage of and up their cybersecurity game too. I I'd love to see that as an outcome for the next 30 days.
1: Yeah. And you mentioned automatic updates. And that's one of the things that is out of the four things to keep yourself and your family safe. One of them is updating your software. And it talks about turning on automatic updates. And it even has a picture showing you where in the settings to go to turn on automatic updates perfect and so you know that's easy stuff for you know your personal life even for your employees to not put those off Mm -hmm. and the other thing i wanted to kind of mention you talked about password managers and of course like CISA also talks about password managers but one of the things that i would recommend is password managers for people who have been in technology millennials and you know the younger folks those are easier to pick up but i think on the other end of the spectrum the boomers and the folks who are older especially if they didn't grow up up around technology, or maybe they're Luddites and they just kind of reject technology in general. I would highly recommend just getting them a little password book. My in laws and my family, my dad and my mom, I just got them a little password book. And I am shocked at how well they have taken to that. And they have unique passwords and they write the site down and they write the password down. And it's a password manager, just a manual and handwritten one. And of course, like you want to keep that safe, which they. keep in their house somewhere but it's not like what security professionals would prefer but what are we trying to do as a goal we want them to have safe unique passwords for each one of their sites and that they do and then they have mfa turned on maybe through an sms or something like that so that's about as far as you can get with some folks and maybe that's good enough you know Mm -hmm. but i would just recommend you know thinking of other ways the digital password manager i tried for years to get my family on. And as soon as I got them that little book, they took to it right away. Hmm. So maybe that'll help you in your family too.
0: Yeah. I'd never thought of that, but I I mean, we could do a whole discussion around like the risk analysis of it. But at the end of the day, as long as they maintain physical security of it, it's actually a huge security win. I think from the more common risks of obviously remote and network-based attacks, like the physical security of it is whatever. I mean, if somebody broke in my house, that's probably not the first thing they're going to knock off anyway. Right. And ultimately, even if you lost it out and about somewhere, somebody might look at it and go, oh, that's interesting, whatever. Throw it away.
1: Exactly. Well, fun show tonight. Mm -hmm. That's our show for this week. Thanks for watching and listening as always. We'll have all the links to the topics that we talked about in the show notes, as well as our contact information. If you have any topics you want us to talk about or questions and comments about this episode. Thanks. And we'll talk to you guys next week.
0: Thank you for listening to the Blue Security Podcast. Please check out the show notes, catch up on episodes you may have missed and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Find Andy on Twitter at AJawZero and Adam at AJ Brewer. See you at our next episode.